God freely entered into a covenant of restoration and blessing with Abraham. By faith, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. This covenant promise made with our fathers in faith flows effectually throughout generations. God's New Testament people are now heirs according to the promise. What God started in Genesis is now sealed and secure in Christ Jesus. Early last year, I turned 60, and there's something about getting to that place in life that your mindset begins to change a little bit. By the way, at the 8 o'clock, they, they almost started to applaud like they didn't think I would ever make it to 60, but I did, so I'm here. But your mindset starts to, to change, and if, if you're not in this realm, I know this illustration or my example might not translate perfectly for everybody, but at that point, I started thinking a whole lot more about what life would be when I was no longer getting a paycheck. And up until this point, I have, I have planned and prepared, but I started thinking a whole lot more about it all of a sudden when I just turned 60. I don't know why, but I started thinking about that a whole lot more. And here's the danger. Well, no, here's my confession, that I can start looking at things and start living by sight a whole lot more than by faith in any moment. And this is such a good example in my own life, my own heart. Because all of a sudden, I was paying a whole lot more attention to how much was in the savings account, how much was in the retirement account. Will I have enough? And some of you are maybe thinking the same thing. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there already. You're like, will it last long enough, right? And I know that God has promised me in his word that he will provide for my needs, right? Amen? I know that God in his word has promised that he will never leave me, that he will never forsake me, that he is always with me, right? Amen? And I know that God has prepared a place for me, his child, in eternal glory with him. And yet still, <laughs> I get caught up in what I can see and can't see, right? Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me for living by sight. And so I want that to be the thought as we dive into our study this morning. Now, I'm going to come back and kind of set up that living by faith by sight in just a minute. But before we do that, we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 13 this morning. And I thought it would be really good for us to do a quick review of Genesis chapter 12, because it's been a couple of weeks since we've been in this study. Last week, we had a guest speaker, and so we didn't have a chance to continue. So I thought it'd be good to do a quick review. So at the beginning of chapter 12, we see God calling Abram. And we call him Abram because God hasn't changed his name yet to Abraham. We'll call his wife Sarai instead of Sarah, because that's still her name at this point in our narrative. And so God calls Abram, and he calls him to essentially leave everything he knows to follow God. And God gives him this amazing promise that, that God will bless him, that God will make a great nation out of him, that God will bless those nations that bless him. And so by faith, we read in Hebrews 11, Abram followed God, and he took his wife and his nephew Lot and some of their possessions, and they headed out to follow God. And where did, that, where did God lead him? Well, he led him south down into Canaan. And they got to Shechem, and God, again, reaffirmed that, that call, and, and Abram built an altar and worshiped God. And then they continued to move a little further south. They got down to, to Bethel, and they were just east of Bethel between Bethel and Ai. And again, God affirmed that call, that covenant promise, and, and, and Abram built an altar and worshiped God. And then Abram begins to move a little bit further south, and at that point, we read about this extreme famine that hits the land. And Abram is faced with his very first test. What's he going to do? 
Is he going to live by faith and trusting God? Or is he going to live by sight and trust what he knows? Well, we learned a couple weeks ago that he followed what we call, what Pastor Russell called his common sense and said, okay, there's, there's greener grass down in Egypt. They're, they're not hit as hard. We're going to head down there. So he brought the family down to Egypt. And on the way almost into Egypt, he, he leans over to his wife, Sarai, and he says, you sure are beautiful. But he doesn't stop there, does he? He said, you sure are beautiful. And because of your beauty, it's not going to go well with me if they find out you're my wife. So why don't we just practice a little deception here and pretend like we're not married. You're just my sister. And so that was their plan going in. Well, sure enough, as soon as they get into Egypt, she is a beautiful woman and Pharaoh's advisors take note of her. They let Pharaoh know. And it's not long after that that Pharaoh brings Sarai into his household. And in exchange, he gives Abram, a whole bunch of stuff, a whole bunch of wealth. Well, it's not too much longer after that that, that God brings affliction on Pharaoh and his household in the form of, of some pretty severe plagues. We're not told exactly what they are. But also he reveals to Pharaoh that, that Sarai is the cause of those plagues. And the reason is because she's a married woman. She's married to Abram. And so Pharaoh is furious and he calls Abram in and says, why have you deceived me? Why have you lied? And ultimately, he casts Abram and Sarai and all their stuff out of Egypt, kicks them out. And so that's where our story is going to pick up. And we're going to look at the last verse in chapter 12 in just a minute. But I want you to begin in your mind to begin thinking, okay, where's the contrast between living by faith and living by sight? Because we all have a tendency to live by sight. In fact, I've given the big idea because this maybe puts it on even a more practical level. That we need to stop grasping. Start, stop trying to hang on for what we can get and trust more in God instead of what we think we can do and what we can accomplish. So living by faith versus living by sight. Now, the last verse in chapter 12 is where I want to kind of set us up as we dive into verse thir- uh, chapter 13. Look what it says. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Now, from there, we're going to look at at Abram's journey, and I've broken our, uh, this chapter into four sections. And the very first section we're going to look at is Abram's return, verses 1 through 4. Abram's return. So let's read a few verses in this section because we're going we're gonna to learn a little bit about the geography of what Abram's return is all about because this is really important what he's doing here. Verse 1, so Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negev. Now, Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. He'd gotten all that stuff, or at least a lot of that, from Pharaoh. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. And so I know a couple weeks ago we had a map to kind of show Abram heading down into Egypt. Now let's show Abram heading up out of Egypt to where he ends up going. And there he is in Egypt. And we see the path going across the Sinai Peninsula and then heading up into the Negev, heading up north, all the way up to Bethel. And right in between, just east of Bethel, in between Bethel and Ai is where he goes. And he is returning to where God had first called him. And we're going to come back to that because that's really important. But I want you to notice a couple of things before we even dive into this next verse in verse 4. First of all, just how good and gracious God is to Abram. We heard Nathan, as he was introducing the song, God of Abraham, 
about how good and gracious God was to Abram, even when he messed up. And this is the prime example right here, or one of the prime examples. Because facing the most powerful man in the world, Pharaoh, having deceived him, having caused a great deal of harm on him and his family, Abram should not have lived past that moment, right? Pharaoh probably had every right in that moment to take Abram's life, but he spared Abram. He spared Sarah. And you think at a minimum he would have taken everything Abram owned as he kicked him out. But no, Abram got to leave with all that stuff. He got way more than he deserved. And what a great reminder for all of us in Christ that the fact that we have experienced salvation, we got way more than we will ever, ever deserve. That's called grace, isn't it? That's called mercy. That's called God's amazing love. And Abram got to experience it. And I think it had a big impact on what Abram does next. And at least the second thing, Abram had a choice in what he was going to do next, right? He, did, he didn't have to do what we read about just, just a second ago, what we saw on the map. He could have decided, you know, I'm done with this thing following God. It's not working out so good. I'm heading back home. I'm going to go back to, to all my kinfolk and, and all my family. And we're just, you know, I'm, I'm done with this. But that's not what Abram does, is it? What does he do? He returns to the place where God had first called him. And I believe he returns with a spirit of, of confession and of repentance. That's a long journey you just saw there. And he wasn't doing it in a, in a plane or a, or a train or a car or a Jeep. He was doing it on maybe a, at best a camel or a donkey and a lot of walking that whole way. And he had a lot of time to think. And I guarantee you, he was thinking about how he had messed up, how he had, was living by sight down there in Egypt, not trusting God would provide. And so as he's repenting, as he's confessing, he's heading back to the place, the last place he knew God had called him. He heads back to that altar there between Bethel and Ai with a spirit of repentance and a spirit of confession. He's cleaning that altar off, getting it back in shape, ready to worship God. And I can't even imagine what that worship must have been like for Abram as he realized how he had blown it, but yet how God's grace and mercy had, had, had shined through and how he wanted to go back to that place of worshiping and living by faith and not by sight again. And I have that feeling that worship was sweet between Abram and, and the Lord. Not only was he praising God for who he was and what he had done for him, but there was a spirit of thanksgiving and gratitude for all that God had done for him in that moment. Look at verse 4. We don't get all the details, but we do get that he went to the place where he had made an altar at the first, and there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. We cannot live by faith apart from the miraculous calling of God and his transforming work in our lives. The ability to even live by faith, and it starts when we're born again. If you're here this morning and you're outside of Christ and we're talking about living by faith, not by sight, it probably sounds pretty crazy and it should because it shouldn't make sense until God has come and done a work of transformation in your life through his son, Jesus Christ, through your trusting and placing your faith in what Christ and he alone can do. Our living by faith starts by our faith in Christ and him alone. But for those of us that are born again, for those of us that have from our sin and put our faith and trust in Christ. Does living by faith ha happen automatically? No. I would suggest to you that just like Abram, just like me, you have a strong tendency to want to live by sight. 
And I pray and hope that we will follow Abram's example here when we find ourselves living by sight, that we will turn from that and turn back to God. In fact, I put in your outline there the application, we must follow Abram's example and return to trusting God. Now, I love Abram because he's, he, this is not going to be the last time that he messes up in chapter 12. We're going we're gonna to see that. He's, he's like you and he's like me, where we are, we are human beings, sinners, saved by grace, yes, but we are still sinners and we're still going to fall. But yet, Abram was making progress. We see a different Abram in chapter 13 than we see in chapter 12. He's growing in his trust for the Lord. Paul notes that in Romans chapter 4, verse 20. He's talking about Abram here when he says, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. He was growing in his faith. I hope I have more faith today than I had a year ago. I hope I'm living by faith more tomorrow than I was yesterday. I hope that's your desire to want to grow like Abram. Now, the next part of our text, we see Abram tested. We see Abram's test beginning in verse five. Let's read those few verses there, five, six, and seven. It says, and Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. So Abram is faced with his next test. His first test was the famine and going into Egypt. Didn't do so well. Now he's faced with another test. Will he live by faith or will he live by sight? Well, I kind of gave the answer away with the, with the, with the section of the, the next number three, which we're not at yet when I say Abram's trust. But before we get to that, it's interesting that this setting has come about. Here we have... Here we have Abram and Lot. They have gone back to this area between Bethel and Ai. They have all these possessions that they had acquired and accumulated while in Egypt and some even before they had gone there. And they get back to this area and it doesn't take long before they realize that, that the land won't support all their stuff. It just won't support all their stuff. There's too many, there's too many, too much herd, too much, all that they've got, all their possessions. And I don't know what happened. I don't know if they were fighting over the, the choice pasture land or the, they were getting in line at the well and having to wait to feed their animals. And so they, were, they began to bicker amongst themselves. And as we'll see, there also some strife coming even between Abram and Lot themselves, and, uh, between them. And it's almost like that, 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 that line in the old Western when somebody would say to another person, you know, this town ain't big enough for the both of us. And that's kind of where we see Abram and Lot. It's not, this land's not big enough. And we see the Perizzites and the Canaanites, maybe they're crowding in as well. So they get to this point of conflict. And Abram is tested again, but his test here is around the possessions. The possessions of the land, the possessions that they have. What are they going to do? The strife that's happening between their, their, their family members. What are we going to do? I put on your outline, I think it's a, it's a nice little side note here that when we have a focus on our stuff, it will lead to strife. We see that all the time, even in families where something will, and usually it has to do with money or an inheritance, will, will literally rip a family apart. And it's not just a little bit of strife. It can be something major where people won't talk to each other for, for decades over a situation like that. And so we just always have to be careful to, to, to make sure that we're not grasping for things instead of trusting in God. And that might have been what was happening here. But Abram, in his wisdom, 
as we'll see, he's going to handle this test quite a bit differently. Roman numeral three, we see Abram's trust. We see Abram's trust. And I want to look, first of all, at how Abram leads by faith and trusting in God's promise, verses eight and nine. So let's continue on. You know, we've got the test. We've got this, we've got this strife. There's not enough resources there. And we've been reading verse eight. Then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen. For we are kinsmen. We're family. Is not the whole land before you. Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I'll go to the right. Or if you take the right, then I'll go to the left. Now, Abram responds. We see this different person. Because when he went down to Egypt, who is he most concerned about going into Egypt? Self, exactly. Let's, let's do this little deceptive little lie so that it'll go well for me. Not so much worried about what happened with his wife, Sarah. He's worried about what's going to happen to him. But now, all of a sudden, it's a different Abram we see. He is at a point where he is not worried about self. And we know that the only way he could get there is he is trusting and living by faith. We see Abram here in a spirit of humility. He is deferring to younger Lot, his nephew, Almost like a, a son that he has helped raise because Lot's father had passed away earlier. And he defers to Lot and says, Lot, you pick, you choose. Even though Abram had every right to pick, he had every right to tell Lot, you go here and I'm staying right here. Or, or Lot, uh, you stay here and I'm going over here where it's nicer. He had every right to do that as the elder statesman in that group. But in humility, he defers to Lot. And not only do we see his humility, but we see his generosity. Talk about generosity. He's, he said, okay, why you look around and you take the pick of the best land. You pick whatever you want. Now, I grew up with a younger brother, and I know growing up uh, with a younger brother, we would often fight over who gets to pick something first, right? You always wanted to get dibs on something, right? And there was a lot of, lot of strife over that. And, and I don't know how, how humble and gentle I, or generous I was being the older brother at times. I probably took advantage of that. But here we see Abram with a spirit of generosity. And we talk about giving generously a lot around here. Well, this is, hey, you pick first. You get first dibs. Lot, you take whatever you want to have. Now, how could Abram go from being worried about his life in Egypt to now being willing to be humble and generous to his nephew Lot? I really believe it comes down to the fact, and this is the most remarkable part, that he was trusting in God and God alone in this moment. He understood that all the land that they were looking at didn't matter what Lot chose, it was all his anyway, because God had promised it to him. And what a great trust in God and God's provision in our lives when we can get to that point and have that kind of faith. You see, when you believe in God's promise of provision in your life, when you believe what God promises us in this word, you will be generous with what God has provided you with. You will. You, won't, you can't help but be generous. You'll stop grasping and start trusting in God. You can see a lot of times we are so clawed in because we don't truly trust in what God has told us in his word that he will provide. And when we don't trust it completely, we're going to hang on tight. Abram had gotten to a point where he could let go because he knew God had promised him the land. It was his. It didn't matter if Lot took it all. It was his because God had said so. I pray I can get to that point. Now, I know that Abram's not going to be perfect moving on, but in this moment, there is a great amount of living by faith and trusting in God. 
couple of verses that pop into my mind that, that, that just reinforce this idea that we are to live by faith and trust God. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, Galatians 2.20, he says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, and listen to what he says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Also in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 7, we hear Paul say this. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we, what does he say? Walk by faith, not by sight. Now, Paul was challenged just as much as you're challenged, just as much as I'm challenged to walk by faith, trusting what God has said more than what I can see with my own eyes. Lot, on the other hand, is living by sight. He is trusting only what he can see. Let's take a look at Lot's choice here and uh, the progression. And by the way, we're gonna, Lot's going to pop up quite a bit more in the, in the weeks to come as we study Genesis. But here we begin to see a little bit of the progression in Lot's own life of living, what living by sight looks like. So pick up now in verse 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes. Stop right there for a second. That, Uncle Abe has said, pick whatever you want. Look around. And so I can just imagine Lot's eyes getting really big at this moment thinking, this is my chance. You know, it's, you know we have had this strife and I've, I've been wanting to go out on my own and, and he's given me the first pick. And so I'm going to make a good choice. I'm going to look at everything. And so I can imagine Lot, Lot taking his time and looking over all the land, north, south, east, west, what grabs his eye? What grabs his eye? We continue to read. He said, Lot lifted up his eye and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. So it reminded him of where he had been in Egypt. Man, I, he looked east and he saw the Jordan Valley. And they were up probably about two or 3,000 feet on this mountain ridge where they were there between Bethel and Ai. And so he had a good view of everything, but he could look to the east and he saw this fertile ground with the Jordan running through it. He says, that's, that's what I want. That looks beautiful. That's the direction that I want to go. And it all sounds good, right? It reminds him of, of Egypt. Maybe that's not a great thing because it didn't go so well for him in Egypt. It reminds him of the Garden of the Lord, Garden of Eden. So man, this looks great. Well, we continue on. He said, in the direction of Zoar. And Zoar is, is, a, is, a, is a city that's located, yes, to the east, but much further down south on the other side of the Dead Sea. And then we get this little bit of a glimpse into what's coming, this parenthetical section here at the end of verse 10. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot, right off the bat, makes his choice on what he sees. He's looking, he's longing, what looks the best. Now again, there's nothing wrong with using our eyes. I'm not suggesting that living by faith means we walk around with our eyes closed. I'm very grateful for the sight that the Lord has given me. But I'm not gonna trust it over what God has told me. And even Lot's decision in this moment was not necessarily, as we'll see, a terrible decision, but it was the first step toward Lot moving further and further and further away from God. And that's where the danger comes in. So Lot uses his eyes, and it reminds me of what Eve did back in Genesis chapter 3. Very familiar sounding. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. 
So it says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. Again, basing her decision on what she saw, Lot was gonna base his decision on what he saw. So Lot lifts up his eyes and he sees. Verse 11, so Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. Thus, they separated from each other. So he saw what looked to be the best, and then he chose what he thought was going to be the best. But it doesn't stop there because we see that Lot not only lifted his eyes and he chose, but he also settled in the valley near Sodom. Look at verses 12 through 13. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. We'll come back to that phrase. Verse 15, now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Most of us in this room know what's gonna ultimately happen with Lot and his family. Not, a, not gonna give a, a, a spoiler, but most of you do. If you don't, you might wanna read ahead, but we'll get to those passages eventually. But here, Moses is giving us a little bit of a, a clue what's going to happen when he throws in that last part in verse 13. But look what it says Lot did. He didn't just go east to the Jordan Valley. He went east to the Jordan Valley, yes, but then he started heading south down to the cities, the cities of the valley, Sodom and Gomorrah, heading down towards Zoar. Did Lot know how evil or wicked they were? We don't know. But maybe he thought, hey, not only do I want to have this, this more fertile land, but I want the advantages of being near the big city. I want all these things. And we think, well, Lot should have known better. Yes, Lot should have maybe known better. But I would say the same thing for us. Maybe we need to know better as well. Sometimes we think we're different than Lot, but I don't think we're a whole lot different than Lot. Sometimes we live just as much by sight. I know people that have chosen and spent more time on their job and their career than, than investing time in discipling and growing their family. They have gotten so caught up in what they can do in their job and their career that they have neglected their family. And they all justified, oh, it'll ultimately be for them. I know people that have chosen where they will live one day based on, 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 on how it will benefit them rather than choosing a place that they can be a part of a local Bible-believing church that will help them as a family grow in their faith and be discipled, be involved. I know people that choose social influence and social value over spending time with the body of Christ. The list goes on and on, and we're all guilty of some form or fashion of living by sight instead of living by faith. And Lot, as we'll see, it doesn't end up well for him. The application here, living by sight, which is what Lot's doing, leads to deception in our lives and disobedience and ultimately to our destruction. When you choose to trust your desires, you're going to lose every time. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 through 8. This almost sounds like a mini sermon that Abram could have given to Lot as he headed off. He said, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. Lot had chosen to pitch his tent, as translations in the past have used, near Sodom. He had chose to settle close, not yet in Sodom, but close to Sodom. And we know that the influence there would draw him eventually in. Roman number four, we get to our last section, and I've entitled it Abram's response, but really it's, it's God's reaffirmation, reiterating the promise that he's made to Abram. Let's read verses 14 and following. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, 
Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. God reaffirms to Abram after he loses his nephew Lot and his family if they head off. I'm sure Abram was somewhat sad in that moment. He's probably pretty much raised Lot as, his, as a son. But here he leaves, and so God immediately appears to, to Abram and reaffirms the promise. Doesn't matter what happens to Lot. It doesn't matter where Lot goes. It doesn't matter what land Lot takes. This is yours. As far as you can see, east, west, north, south, it's yours. I want you to notice how Abram responds in this moment because there's three things. And if you want to write these on your outline, there are three specific ways Abram responds. First of all, we see Abram walking by faith. He's obedient to God. God tells him in verse 14, Abram, lift up your eyes. And he's not so much saying, just look at the land, but what it represents, it represents the promise that I've given you. Look at this promise. Look at me. Trust me. Keep your eyes on me. Live by faith, not by sight. The psalmist says in Psalm 121, verse 1 through 2, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. In other words, I will lift up my eyes to the Lord. I will lift up my eyes to the Lord. We need to look to Jesus. Amen? That's how we keep living by faith, is keeping our eyes on Christ. The the writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 12, and I love this passage because it comes on the heels of the faith chapter in Hebrews 11, where Abram is mentioned quite a bit, Abraham in his faith. But at the end of that chapter, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, says this, Therefore, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And listen to what he says. Looking to who? Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. What did Jesus do? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Keep your eyes on Jesus if you want to live by faith. Stay focused on him, the founder and perfecter of your faith. So we see Abram walking by faith. We also see Abram take this this obedient to walk uh, in verse 17. Look what God, God commands. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. And verse 18 says, so Abram moved his tent. Abram, Abram started this walk, this almost this celebratory tour through the promised land. And he was obedient in doing what God had told him to do in that moment. The second thing we see Abram doing here in response is worshiping by faith. He walked by faith, but he also worshiped by faith. It goes on to say in verse 18 that he came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. He built another altar to the Lord. And what does he do? By faith, he worships God. He's trusting God, and he's thanking God. He's praising God for how God has provided. And he will continue to worship by faith. Are you walking by faith and obedience, which will lead, I believe, to our worship of the Lord? When we trust and obey, we will want to worship our Lord and Savior. And the third thing, while not here in the text, I think it's very much implied, we see Abram waiting by faith. 
He walked by faith, he worshiped by faith, and he waited by faith. Did Abram take immediate possession of the land in this moment? No, not yet. But he would learn to wait patiently by faith on the Lord. The question for you this morning, you see this in the application, what is your response to God's promises? What is your response to everything that you read in God's word? How do you respond? Are you living by faith? Or are you living by sight? And if you are here outside of Christ, as I mentioned earlier, this sounds crazy to live by faith. Why would anybody do that? Well, I would pray for you today that you would consider what God has said in his word, that you would consider what God has done in history by sending his only son, Jesus, into this world to live a sinless, perfect life and ultimately to lay down that life as the sinless, perfect lamb, the sacrifice, the atoning sacrifice for our sin, that he would pay for the penalty of sin that we deserved, that we could never pay on our own. And by repenting of my sin and putting my faith in Christ and him alone brings a changed life and a changed heart, brings salvation. That's my prayer for you that that God would be working in your heart this morning. But if you're here this morning and you are a believer in Christ, boy, is the challenge just as significant. Because how are you going to live tomorrow? How are you going to live this afternoon? Are you going to live more by sight? As we see Lot living by sight, are we going to live more by faith? Are you going to be grasping for the things of this world? Are you going to be trusting in God? The list goes on and on in my own heart and my own life of areas as I studied this this past week of areas where I see myself living by sight and not by faith. And I'm grateful that God revealed those to me, but I want to be more, I want to live more by faith tomorrow than I did yesterday. I want to be growing in that faith in the glory of God. And I think you probably do too if you're a born again believer. And so ask God to reveal areas where you're living by sight, where you're trusting more of this world and the things of this world than you are of God and his word. And I promise you, when you start praying that, he's going to reveal to you where those areas are that you need to change. If you're here this morning outside of Christ, as I mentioned earlier, and you want to talk with someone about what it means to have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, I'll be around and others after the service, we would love to talk with you. But as we sing this response song, I pray for all that all of us would seriously reflect on our own heart and our own life of what, how we might be living more by sight than by faith.